You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. What's up, Bracken? I heard you were camping. Oh, we were camping. Glamping. Tearing in. Trailer's parked out in front of the house right now. Still hooked up. I just oh, hit yeah. it, dug in the back, grabbed my gear out, and hauled up here so I could plug in and get going. That's what uh, he predicted that. He laid that out for me. Said that's exactly what would happen. That's exactly what did happen. I brought my stuff along in case I was supposed to record an episode earlier with uh with race brain and it didn't work out, but I had my mic in the back of the truck and I didn't order it the way I should have. Oh no. Unfortunate. Well, I'm not intimidated by you and your cutoff shirt, Bracken. Are you, Justin, intimidated by Bracken and his cutoff a shirt? A little bit. A little bit. I'm... Look at that. Shredded. He had the flex to even tell he had muscles. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I lifted in almost 11 I'm getting weeks there. Now. I'm getting there. <laughs> so what you missed, Bracken, Justin was telling me about his move to the mountains. Maybe you know about all this, but like Justin's living the life, in my opinion. He told me, Justin, how far is it to your mailbox from your front door? It's a mile, a 1.4 miles. Downhill. <laughs> Downhill, yeah. It's uh, today. I did a, I ran from my house to my mailbox three times, and it was eight miles with 2K. <laughs> and my neighbors think i'm insane because they're all these like retired old people like you know either like real deal hillbillies who grew up and i say that with passion i love them uh, that grew up here or um you know veterans or, or retired people and they just see me at all hours of the day just running right past their house just because all their houses are right on the road and you just see them inside looking at me so how many reps so you've been there since january december something like that just before december i can't i'm drawing a blank right now it's definitely before okay. uh like november i moved here late november so, yeah so how many laps to the mailbox and back do you think you've done since december dude when i was training for mid-state i would i hurt my ankle so i stayed off the trails and all i would do is run up and down that driveway so so there and back is a lap, a hundred. <laughs> I wonder if I can check on Strava, like my segment, because I made a segment uh, for it. You know, you've got a real driveway when there's a segment for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll make a segment on anything though. If it's okay. remotely downhill, I'll make a segment. Uh, this isn't driveway, driveway though. This isn't like a paved. It's not a paved drive. So it's a lot. It's a private road. Um, it's not even county maintained and it's the dude who owns that portion of the mountain. It's actually his property, but it's a, it's a paved road for about a, a, maybe a mile. And then it goes to gravel, but other people's houses are off this road, but at the bottom of the hill, all of our mailboxes are there. So that way the lady doesn't have to drive up all the switchbacks in her, uh, little mail car. Yeah. So it's intense. But it sucked. It's, I was telling him after my 200 miler, it was winter and we had the big winter storm come in and trees were falling. And like I said, it's not county maintained. So I needed to go get oil for my generator. And my wife and I were out there moving trees, like to, 
for real deal moving doing tree work trying to go get oil for the generator and it was like i was telling him i was like now we were thrown to the wolves so we'll be good but when that happened i was like what did we do man like i gotta keep my family alive up here (laughs) (laughs) and that was days after a 200 mile race that was the day after (laughs) those north georgia mountains are are for real though people don't realize when you get in north georgia like you got some real hills so actual mountains that you're living yeah right yep yeah there's um so the highest point in georgia is a few miles from my house brass town bald and there's a paved road from the bottom of it to the top with basically not a whole lot of switchbacks like a regular trail would have so it's three miles with 1700 feet of gain so a mile from my house i have a three mile uphill which is i just learned this awesome uh workout three by one minute you three three minutes hard uphill and then you turn around one minute soft downhill and then you go back and it just takes forever to get to the top but it's mm-hmm. gnarly it's a good hill for that what's your longest hill kirk let's say within 15 minutes of your house what's the longest you can run uphill for 10 seconds I am in a bad place. If I if you gave me 25 minutes, I would tell you the longest hill is 80 feet of gain, which would take me maybe 45 seconds uh, that I know of. Oh, yeah, you're really flat then. But if I go an hour, then I have two ski hills in both directions, and the biggest one gives me about 230 feet in a crack, and that's as, that's as good as it gets yeah. uh, here. What about you, Bracken? Uh, 17 minutes gets me to the rock ski hill, which is 188 feet of vert per time up it. Woo woo. So we're set. So Justin, you suck is what we're telling you. You suck. I lived in a place like that and it sucked. I remember like, it's hard to, uh, you have to deliberately train like the accessory muscles, the deceleration, everything else. If you can't run in the mountains, you got to. It's like Richard Simmons, man, with ankle weights going to town. I actually want to dig deep into this, but yeah, not man. yet. All right. We'll yeah. bring it back. But but <laughs> that I might just copy that transition again later and have you say the same thing again. Justin. Saw, oh, go ahead, Bracken. I, I saw a meme the other day, and it said what people think is tough or is, is in, intimidating or looks tough. And it was like affliction shirt and like barbed wire tattoo around the bicep, stuff like that. And they said, what really is tough? And it showed just like a normal looking guy with cauliflower ear. Oh, yeah. So like you see this or you see that in one of the two, you don't want to mess with. And, yeah. and when I, I feel like the, the trail, the mountain or the ultra version of that is what you think looks tough. And it's like three by a mile and four fifty five with two minutes rest. What really is tough, 12 miles on the trail, four and a half hours at 12 minutes. You know, like when you look on Strava, your Strava at first glance is not what people would generally think this scares me to race against. Yeah. But it's your type of Strava that you have to have to be an ultra monster. The a lot of 10 through 14 minute mile pace Slow. runs that don't look like this guy could have any get up and go on race day, but I feel like that's the cauliflower ear of Strava is the grindy work that just populates your Strava. Dude, that's awesome. I like, uh, well, first off, thank you. That's a really cool uh, analogy. I dig it. I've always said, you know, you, you see a dude with cauliflower ear, they're generally like the most like laid back, chill dude in the room. Um, mm-hmm. 
And that's where I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get hum- more humble with each day. So I appreciate that. <laughs> that's what, that's a unique analogy, Bracken, even for you. And that's a good one. Yeah. Deep. <laughs> but really, yeah. People <laughs> who have wrestled in college, whether they're good guys or not good guys, you're right. They're totally relaxed and calm. And we've talked about this before. They just have that like, what are you going to do to me that hasn't been done already? Like There isn't anything that worries them. And the first time I saw Ryan Atkins, he looked to me like a college wrestler. It was at Killington at the 2013 Spartan World Championships. And everyone was up on stage in this panel. Not everyone, but the the favorites. And Ryan Atkins came strolling through the the press area and with sweatpants rolled up to his knees, flip-flops, just a t-shirt on, and looked like like a college wrestler. He just had the most relaxed saunter I've ever seen. 14 hours before towing the line at world championships. And he went out the next day, missed two spear throws and still almost won the race. He was leading with a mile to go when he missed the second one and lost by like 30 seconds. But like that day, I didn't know who he was yet, but I looked at him and thought that guy doesn't have a care in the world. We're in trouble. And that that guy, it's just like that total relaxation. He, and he, which I mean, it's probably has a lot to do with just, uh, his confidence in himself, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that Ryan Atkins, dude, he is one of my favorite guys to watch, man, of Spartan people. He uh, he does, you know what I mean? What does he do a pull, one-arm pull-up like today with his cat in his head? You know what I mean? Like, come on. <laughs> but my point is that he has a similar Strava lot of days to yours. Just hours in the mountains. He, he yeah. moved to the mountains as well. He lives at the top of a ski hill on the side of a mountain. Like, he just... You guys have that same cauliflower ear Strava where you, you've spent enough hours and days and years fatigued on your mountain, and eventually, like, nothing really bothers you. Yeah, it's not a whole lot of that you can get thrown at us that hasn't already been thrown at us that we had to work through already. I had yeah. a, uh, a roommate of mine's boyfriend. I lived with a few chicks back in the day, and uh, she was dating an MMA fighter. I always thought it was interesting because his, his, he was the most docile, chill guy that I had known. Like, he'd walked in, he'd be so unassuming, just like you guys are mentioning. Uh, and he goes get his butt kicked and kick butts, right, to the point where, like, and he's in the hospital. And I was like, why, man? Like, why do you do this? And he said, because he's so laid back, he said, like, I'm so carefree, but in that moment, in the ring, I am never more present in the moment mm-hmm than any other point in my life. And I am addicted to that feeling. I'm not thinking about what I just did or what I have to do. I am so alive. And even if it hurts or I get my ass kicked, I do it because it makes me present. And I was like, damn, I was like, that's the opposite of distance running. I was like, my mind wanders all the time when I'm out there. Like there couldn't be two different sports because it's all about like thinking and not being present. I feel like half the time when you're out there doing the cauliflower ear runs. And so I don't know. I don't know how that relates to this, but I just find the comparative interesting. I so I, I want to say something off that. So I was talking with, I was running with this dude. He's a he's a pro for North Face, and he was talking about how he went on a podcast with a dude who was like a real mindset guy. Uh, he was like a specialist. I'm definitely shortchanging the guy. He's done a bunch of studies, but he was talking about how certain athletes they have to get into get into a flow in order to survive certain situations. And whether that be a big wave surfer, when they drop into that wave, it's all or nothing. If they start thinking about what they're having for dinner, they're dead. Um, Same deal with UFC guy. And I have experienced that 
feeling on these downhills out here? Because I have like I'm not mm. real fast, as y'all as y'all have mentioned, uphill. But I have I've done a bunch of stuff that has made me better than a lot of people downhill. And so I'll go out and try to steal these segments to where like, you know, some guy who has the uphill segment and the down, his uphill's an hour, mine's an hour and twenty minutes, but my down smokes his. And and so I go around just trying to steal like the closest one to my house is one point four miles and it's fourteen hundred feet of gain. So it's a hundred feet of gain per tenth of a mile. And that's the track rock gap climb. And I went and I took that crown. And I remember it's so steep. It's beyond like a 28% grade and and in spots. And I remember going around switchbacks and in this spot what I call Splinterville, where it's just a bunch of trees that are fell down and stuck into the dirt. And now they're facing you like this stuff, the horses run into in Braveheart, you know, Mm. and (laughs) I'm running down. And I remember, dude, I, I could, it was almost like I saw my line before I was there. I knew where each step was going to go. I felt my feet spreading with each step and I was just in it, man. And, uh, I can definitely relate with that, uh, that flow feeling or that being so present and, and it being addictive. I get that on the downhills for sure. What it's did, uh, one. what did John, John Elbin say about, uh, Mount Blanc? He, he ate it on camera because he, what, he took one second to look up at the cameraman on a descent and he ended up supermanning it's that but you're right the descent is the one place where i think you could relate to what this mma guy said i like it there's a point in every race i ever run that's off-road where i have to be like hey focus <laughs> get yep. it together because you when you're just running even fast the college track there were times where my mind would drift in the middle of a mile you know there's not a lot of time in a college mile race if you're doing it right and i'd i'd lose a half lap sometimes in my mind Maybe zoned out, maybe perfectly zoned in, but yeah. sometimes a different thought would go by. There is no place for that on a downhill. No. It's almost like when you're trying to, like this today, I was trying to back up a trailer and I told the kids like, hey, you just can't talk to me right now. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, <laughs> I can't see what's behind me. I got too much stuff in the bed of the truck. I'm going only on my mirrors and there's stuff that I can break. Like just, just don't say anything. That's how a downhill is. Like one extra thought is it's just too much noise. Yeah, you know, this is yep. ma- making me think now. I got a couple of people. I just had a conversation with a guy this morning, one of my athletes, and he's just like, the downhills aren't doing it. And I got a couple of athletes who suck at downhills, and it's killing their game. And I'm thinking maybe it's just like, hey, idiot, stop thinking. Yeah. Like, you need to be there instead of tiptoe. Like, you need to be present. Man, I'm wondering if these are people whose minds wander a little too much out there now. Got me thinking. Could be, man. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if they're tripping roots, clipping rocks, and. A rolling ankles is a big one. If you start lo- on the switchbacks, I've, I've rolled my ankle real bad last season on a switchback when I started. I was, I remember I was uh, like one of those daydreams, you know, like you're pumped up mm-hmm. thinking about finishing a race in first or something. Yeah. And I remember, check your ego, bro. You just almost threw your season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, we're so good at checking out on long runs, yeah. but you mm-hmm. cannot on a descent. I find myself, I like, I like using music for hill workouts. And for yeah. intervals, uh, like half the time. The other half, I like to make myself not so I can get used to hearing myself gasp. But on every single time I do shoots and ladders, that's ours where we hard up, down, up, rest, down, up, down. So you're always descending or climbing after you're tired from the previous one. Yeah. But every single time I crest and turn around, 
I find myself making it like five or 10 steps and then slapping the pause button on my music. Cause like, that's even too much. If I'm trying to really bomb a descent music's too much. I just, I I get mad at it. Come on, get out of my head. Uh, I completely agree. Yep. Justin, I want to ask you about, uh, that, that thing behind you. I don't know what I'm looking at. It says the last man standing. Now I would assume we have Ode to Laz, which is going on Saturday, which is a big deal. I got a few athletes running. Um, what, what race was that from? Is that from a backyard style? What was it? Yeah, th- this is from the Mid-State Mile, the one in Tennessee. And it's it's unlike um, most of the backyards where it's a one-mile, it's a 1.1-mile loop with just a ton of gain. It has 340 feet of gain. We've talked about it on here before, the loop. But this race, you have 20 minutes to complete that loop. And then every 12 hours, you get a 20-minute nap if you can sleep. And then it's just that, that you run for, and we started with 75 people and, uh, yeah. I'm going to pause you for a second. (laughs) The Tennessee mile where Justin and I met, where Ross and I prepped for his first ultra, same location. So the Tennessee mile is like the baby brother, the feeder program for the mid state mile, Tennessee mile. You get a time cap, do as many laps as you want. This race, this is the big race. It is a last man standing, but it's on the exact same loop. So everything we've talked about in the past about that loop applies, but until there's only one person left. Yeah, man. So we went and, uh, yeah, we went for 40 hours, 40 hours. And, um, I was able to sleep on every one of those naps. And I really think that that made a really big difference for me. Uh, 40, 40 hours. And so you're doing three laps with how many, how many feet of gain? How many laps? 340 feet of gain per lap. Okay, I had a three laps an hour. Are you going to do 1.1 mile per lap? About 40, almost 41,000 feet of gain and loss. I was just curious. Because, Legit because of, yeah, because of the 20 minute naps, it, it was 39,780 <laughs> feet of gain. Um, is You're what so they close had. to 40 K. They said one more loop and it had been 40k and I was like I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so how did somebody how did it end? So was it down to you and one other and then what they usually do and then you two go back and forth until one of you actually needs to be hospitalized basically? Yeah, so what it happened? Went, So it's so it started on Saturday morning at 8 a.m. and by 12 hours in the day the heat of that Tennessee heat it took off half the field over half the field i want to say close to like there was maybe 30 people left because i remember we went down the nap i was looking around and i was like dude there's no one there's no one left this is this is finishing too fast because i wanted to break the course record and i remember telling my wife i was like we're not this ain't gonna last that long and we woke up and then fast forward when we got down to seven people it lasted forever no one would break off and there was a, a chick in there, a CrossFit girl who had never ran. I think she had ran a 50 K before, but like once on a whim. And this was her first ultra. And she was, she had beat probably, you know, 60 men who had trained for a year uh, to go there. It was just, I was like, this would be hilarious. If she got this trophy that said last man standing, not hilarious. It would be awesome. It would be, you know, historical. And if I was her, I would hold it up with the biggest smile on my face. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I beat y'all. But yeah, so we got to seven. And up until seven, we were all coaching each other. Stay in it. Don't quit. Come on. Come on. 
But then I remember when the girl started the waiver, her name was Jill. I told my wife, I was like, I'm not coaching her no more. They can start dropping off now because I'm starting to get tired. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she dropped off and then we got down to four. And then again, it was like, man, no one's going to drop off. And I love their coverage of it. I'd I'd woke up. You know, five times that night because of kids going to the bathroom, whatever. Every time uh-huh. I was probably up for 15 minutes because I'd check the stories again. And they called them the Four Horsemen. I thought that the was Four Horsemen. That was so mm. appropriate. And it was just the perfect imagery of what they were doing out there. Just horsemen yeah. are riding again. Yeah, man. It was, uh, that was good. Um, so the, the four of us that were left was me. And I had, I had the record from the, the 24 hours. So the people out there were like, this guy's probably pretty good. And then another guy was Luke Baltschweiler, which is like um, an elite dude down here in this area. Um, he he ran a, a 100 that I ran in 23 hours, and he he did the course record. He ran 19 in a mountain race with 15,000 feet of gain in it, 19 hours. Um, so another real deal guy. And then um, my buddy Eric was one of the uh, four horsemen, and he lives out in Montana. And just I know what he does at elevation. He's been training harder than me. It, almost <laughs> and and then the last guy we didn't know who he was he was a nobody his name was lucas Favard. and i remember being like babe look this guy's ultra sign up who is he he ain't falling off and uh eventually lucas and luke they both fell off kind of close to each other and then it was me and eric my buddy from montana who we had like exchanged all my shoes had these caterpie laces in which i will talk about later and that was because of him and we were just buddies and now it was like I didn't have that battle, you know, that warrior. I want to beat this guy anymore because he was my buddy. I was like, let's just beat the course record and then we'll see what happens then. And then so we broke the course record and then, which the course record was 122 miles with like 36,000 feet of gain. And we broke that and we both, I could see it was like weight off our shoulders, but now we were both fighting, not quitting because we had done something amazing Second place, breaking the old course record. That's a hat to hang. You know, I mean, you can go home and be happy about that. And so I really started fighting the quit monster with that, man. I was like, okay. And I remember what it was is I saw my yurt that my family was staying in. And I could hear the generator going because we had an AC unit hooked up to it. And it was like two something in the morning. And I remember thinking, even if I quit, I can't, like, my kids are, uh, what am I going to do? I'm going to go get in that, that nasty tent, all gross, unshowered. No, like, I, it, the, it would make sense for me to stay up until they got to go to bed again. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I said that out loud to my buddy, and I think he was like, I don't know if that's what broke him, but it was the two more laps, <laughs> and he was gone. And uh, he would actually, he what he told me happened is he started really experiencing some IT band issues and uh, outer knee stuff. And then it, and it affected his other leg. And then it got to where his climbs, he couldn't just make the time anymore and ended up falling off. But yeah, so I ended up beating, beating him for uh, the win. And it was, so, it was crazy. <laughs> so he timed out is what happened. What, what was the best strategy here? Cause normally in these backyards, you have, you know, at an hour, an hour time stamp and people are finishing. There's also, you know, finish 15 minutes early and you get to chill and eat and change your socks and that, that, or cut it close and manage your effort or your energy. What was your strategy? Like, how did you navigate that? Cause that's a really tight when you're looking at 20 minute cycles, you gotta be dialed. Yeah. So the, but here's, 
So I'm training. I have a, a backyard race, Laz, Lazarus Lakes um, Little Dogs. It's not the, the big one where all the pros go to, but he has one the week before. Same exact place and thing, but it's for people like me who no one knows. And so I'm, I got into that. And so I am training for and have strategized a little bit on the 4.1 mile one. Um, the idea for me, my level of fitness, Luke Balchweiler, the dude who runs 100 miles in the mountains in you know, 10 minutes. He was coming in at 15 minutes every time and had five minutes. And he would be sitting on his cooler when I'd come in and just chilling. Um, me, my strategy was to just keep my heart rate as low as possible at an 18-minute pace. And I would, if I needed something to, to be done on a loop, like I needed to eat a little bit more food or change shoes, then, yeah, I would speed up and come in at 14, 15 for that one get what I needed done and then go slow and almost make up for it maybe and come in at like 19. Um, and what I did, which was really important is that from the beginning, I started my first lap. I said, okay, um, I'm at the chair though. They had a chair on one of the Hills that said, uh, accept the feet and take a seat. And I was like, all right, I'm at that chair at four minutes flat. All right. I'm at this tree here. And I was like, okay, I got it at 18 minutes. That's what I need to do every time. So even if I was like, I had a stop or I was worried or something like that, I, I had those confidence boosters. I would pass the chair. Okay. Right at four minutes. I'm good. Or, Oh, 410. I'm going to hustle up a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. And I would relate that to the hour timeline to, I'm going to shoot to be coming in around 45 to 50 minutes. 45 to 50 minutes um, for the 4.1 miles until I need to sleep. And so I'm going to work it kind of like mid-state. Every 12 hours, I'm going to go fast and try to sleep for 20 minutes. Because I think of it like if I go fast, then your heart rate's going to be up. It's going to be hard to fall right to sleep. So if I can get on, and on the road, you're really helped out because Lazarus Lake, he goes at night on the road. And so you can really burn it down. Um, and it's dark. You want to sleep anyway. So nighttime, I would burn it down and come in probably around, you know, like eight minute pace or something and sit down, drink some cold water, get my breath under control, throw my headphones in. This is really important. Like Bracken's with the wire, not Bluetooth. Throw those in, plug them in my phone and hit white noise, blast it because that, no one else could sleep because they said all they could hear was people talking. And yeah, it's a tailgate party <laughs> other than us trying to sleep. Mm. All I heard was white noise. And so I remember thinking, trying to think a thought and just boom, I would be getting kicked by my wife and out. So that's what I'm going to do there. Run like a, an eight minute pace, come in, white noise it up and sleep as long as I can. And, and I imagine that that eight minute pace and trying to hustle up to get sleep. I would say after about four quarters, 48 hours, it's going to start getting tough to get back fast enough to get calm down to fall asleep to continue to run so after about 48 hours i imagine it's going to start being like all right who's who's hallucinating the least <laughs> that's who's going to win or you know what I mean? who's willing to sustain those hallucinations the longest it's, i think i see after 48 hours it's going to be pretty hard to get to get good sleep but i mean hey i don't know i mean this My, is that 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 mindset and confidence that you can't fake Mm. To to be already prepared for real bad stuff after forty eight, a lot of people aren't. Oh, dude, ready this for that race because they can't comprehend getting to forty eight. 
or they've never yeah. felt that and you're just you're happy about oh man it's going to get really bad for us after 48 if <laughs> i win this race the the when i started that whole talk about this race and said i'm going to this one because no one knows who i am if i mm -hmm. win this race and the ultra community people are going to know who i am now and that gives me a shot to shake lazarus lake's hand as the winner of one of his races and my dream, my the apex of all this is to go to the Barkley Marathons. Mm -hmm. So I'm, hey, I'm one step closer. That's why I'm this ready and prepared to suffer and, and to go the, the distance. And because this is my career, my life, my everything. You know what I mean? This isn't, I'm not doing this for cowbells and stuff. <laughs> Belt buckles? No? No, I mean, I like them. I'll put them behind me. <laughs> and you asked what this is. I have no idea. I think oh. <laughs> oh. if you hang it upside down, you could put like cattle's legs through there, maybe, and like drain the blood out. I, that's, <laughs> I what that looks yolk. like is, a yeah, it looks like a yoke, or it looks like somewhere you yeah hang to plow a plow field to put around like a. No, you put or you put it around like an animal. A and steer, they, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, it looks cool either way. Uh, okay, so now you've got. We had sort of an agenda here, but I, everything you say is sort of fascinating. I don't know why you have that you have that effect on me, Justin. Um, <laughs> you remember when we talked last time, Bracken, and you're just like you were listening to story time. I already feel like mm -hmm. I'm kind of like I'm kind of like listening to story time already because you guys got uh, me on that last one. I hadn't shared any of that, man, and I uh, that was good. Yeah, that, that was good. Go back and listen to your first episode, uh, people. If you have not heard Justin Hamilton's first episode, just be ready to be enthralled with his story. But um, okay, so now you just said this one strategy, which is like every so often I am going to hustle in order to take a to take a nap if I can, and that is going to be one of my keys to success. If I'm going to do well, I am going to need to execute this strategy in yeah. this backyard uh, style format. So what other? Now you just got to tell me what. Okay, that's obviously one of your keys to success if this is going to work. What are some of the other things that you need to hit uh, in order to to win this thing? So for like Midstate, I, yeah, so for when I went into the last backyard, I said, okay, I need to induce everything that's, I need to induce everything that may come my way on race day before race day happens. And I know I had been through stuff in the military and I'd been awake in one of my 100s for 30 hours, but I wasn't real. I hadn't, I didn't have a real good taste for how that felt in a while. So I was like, all right. So I stayed up for 24 hours and then I went and tackled. Well, I stayed up for a long, it wasn't quite 24 hours. At the end of it, I'd been up for two days and I had done 10 K of climbing and descending. And that this was is in training. Get, sorry. Yes. In training. That was to get what happened was after about 24 hours, I started getting that sour feeling where you, you're like, you know, you need rest for some better cognitive return. You're not, you're starting to, kind of get a little loopy but then i was like well we're safe we're good we're, you know i was in a controlled environment and i just kept on going man and um i found out nothing really crazy happened um for a significant amount of time and like i mean i got really tired but i didn't you know when i was done i went home i didn't drive the car my wife my wife drove that day i went around we did we went out to eat we did everything normal and I was like, well, okay, now I know that I can stay awake forever uh, or for a good amount of time without being negatively affected um, to a point where my you know, fitness is uh, detrimented. And so I did the, the sleep and then I did heat. Um, I got one I'm going to slow you heat. down real quick. I'm sorry. So you basically, just so I understand this, because I got, 
So basically, I have two athletes who said, can you please interview Justin Hamilton before Odelaz? Because they're both racing. <laughs> and I gave him a teaser. I was like, yeah, I think we're going to talk to him. Well, we're cutting it close because the race is this weekend. Um, but they're all like trying to figure out their strategy and how to do this. And, you know, it's second time for one guy and a first time for another girl that they're tackling this. So I'm just prying a little bit more in your strategy because I know specific people who will benefit from this. So, yeah. Um, so you're saying you stayed up for 24 hours before you even did any working out. You basically stayed up, got yourself sleep deprived and then started hitting it to simulate race, but not take like 48 hours of damage. That'd be crazy. Am I understanding this? Correctly? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. At the end. Yeah. I can, I can't remember. Like I said, I, I can't remember. This was in my peak week. This was the end of my peak week. Like this was the last workout after this, I was hanging my shoes up and tapering. Um, so I'm my, Thoughts. I did it with my buddy Brogan. I wish he was here. He could help me recall the timeline. But he came over, and we started this race or this uh, effort at like 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. at night after being awake all day. And then we got done 10 hours later, and I stayed up until I had re- been awake for 48 hours. So the my working out was in the beginning of it, really. And then the me venturing through that sleep deprivation and, you know, dealing with it was doing normal family stuff, going to dinner, house chores and stuff like that. But yeah, so for tough. your friends who, who are about to that do sounds it, worse you know, that way, doesn't it, Bracken? Yes, it is. And yeah. so, hey, I will tell you this. I told my wife, how do you win a last man standing race? You have kids because you just keep running. That's all you got to worry about kids. You got to feed them. You got to worry about putting them to bed. You just keep running and you have no responsibilities. When you stop, the wife hands you the kids. I mean, that's motivation to keep going. Right? <laughs> now, but I want to say this real quick for your people running this race, don't worry about doing the sleep deprivation training. It's too late. Like, just be healthy. Well, well they have a race. day, so I would say it's too late. <laughs> Good okay, advice. It's this, yeah, it's this weekend. Yeah. I didn't this realize weekend. Oh, dang. Yeah, that's uh. Yeah, don't listen to any of that. But I did. I did induce some sleep deprivation um, at the end of my peak weeks. And and then I went into the heat training. So I think a day before that, I, I not heat training, heat torture. So I put on one of those suits you get at Walmart that looks like a trash bag. Mm-hmm. And then I put on a bunch of layers, ridiculous amount of layers. And they were all like winter windproof layers and it was summer and then i had this elliptical inside of a heat chamber with humidifiers and stuff and so i got in there for 30 minutes and just got to where i literally i was like i was about to i felt like i needed to rip a mask off and i didn't have one on that's all like and so i went outside and i was like and i breathed and because i was about to take my clothes off and i breathed and i was like okay i'm not dying okay i'm good and I was like, well, I'll run outside. And so I took off and ran 1.4 miles down to the driveway and, or to the mailbox. And I turned around. And when I started doing the climb, my heart rate just skyrocketed. And I remember at 47 minutes in, I wanted to just rip every piece of clothes off and just welcome the breeze. Because I felt like I was, uh, I was starting to get tunnel vision, like just from the heat exhaustion. And I didn't. I made it to my house, and I took it all up there. And uh, I walked in the house, and my wife—I was like white and pale. And my, my wife was like, "What did you just do?" What? I was like, "I just almost passed out from heat exhaustion." <laughs> and she was like, "Why?" And I was like, "Well, in case it happens on race day, now I know what it feels like." 
right before I'm about to pass out. <laughs> so then I'll just lay down on the trail. And uh, she that was when she was like, oh, shit, we're going to win this race. She's like, this dude's a maniac. He's going to die or win. Uh, so I, it, that, those are just examples. I would do stuff like that, get my feet wet purposely at the beginning of a long 14-mile uh, run or something like that, and make sure they try to stay wet the whole time just to – make crap suck and want to stop and then not as many times before race day mm -hmm. yeah. Kurt, what's the longest you've been awake in like a, in a, a fatigued depleted state 24 30 36 hours uh we had an overnighter on our high school cross country team after the city meet mm. and we didn't get an ounce of sleep and in fact Actually, I, I lie. I fell asleep during a math test in second period, failed it, woke up to the bell. So I can't even count that. I failed the test. I got like a 30% and I finished. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't even do that. I fell asleep at the wheel. So I don't know. What about you? I guess mine doesn't truly count either. And I think that's the point uh, that my first, uh, the first time Spartan had their world championship in Killington, that was the year I did. I raced the championship heat and then stayed on for a second lap because they offered extra money if you could finish a second one in the top three but that was the one where i didn't i didn't fuel or prep for that so i was just like on fumes the same thing tunnel vision i was slurring my words i i i was just like a shell of myself well, i finished that and i hadn't planned we were we were young we had a like a, a nine-week-old baby at home and i didn't want to spend money so i hadn't booked a hotel that night in case i didn't win any money at the race <laughs> i'd just sleep in the rental car so I, I won money at the race and I started driving back, but every time I, every time I pulled off and this was pre smartphone for me, so I couldn't look ahead. The hotel prices got higher and higher as I got closer to Boston and it turned out like there was a Celtics game and a hockey. I don't, I don't know. There was like concert. So the closer you got, it was like four fifty a night for like a, a room. I didn't do it. So I just drove to, to Boston LaGuardia to fly out, but it turns out that they're one of the only airports that closes early one of the only major airports that isn't open 24 seven. So I couldn't get into the gate. So I slept like out in the, the bus terminal area with my arms, like oh, wrapped terrible. my luggage. So I, I, I got like, I don't know, 45 minutes of broken sleep and then flew home and tried to like you tried to do the family thing. And I struggled. I was a zombie. Yeah. I remember we were at the grocery store. We, <laughs> we went grocery shopping at like 6 PM the next day. And one of my coworkers was in there and she stopped with her husband to talk to us. And in the middle of it, I was like watching myself watch her. And I just had this slack jaw look on my face. And I was like trying to tell myself, like, hey, man, hey, you look really rude right now. Don't do that. But it was like a, yeah. I was watching it as a fly on the wall. I think that's called hallucinating. Yeah. So yeah I might, I might have hallucinated at pick and save. <laughs> but, but, You're probably but, not the first. No. And no one else knew, I don't think, unless it was like uh, like Super Troopers where I think I'm cool. And from the outside, I was like, blah, blah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that's the closest I've come. And I, I was in that moment thinking I'd be so useless right now. Like if this were selection or if this were a 36-hour a, a race, I'd be really useless because I can't even hold a conversation at the grocery store to someone I work with. Now, is, uh, there yeah. something, is there something, though, and I don't know this because I've never done it, to getting your blood pumping and breathing heavy that helps you create a higher level of alertness. Cause like, you know, after oh, yeah. you're sleep deprived, as soon as you give yourself a chance to sit down, it's like game over. For example, grocery store, you're probably like, I don't want to be here. Like you're just half asleep walking already. 
So mm-hmm. is there something to that with the heart rate up and the breathing that kind of keeps you alert more versus being, being at the grocery store? For sure. For sure. I mean, if you talk, if you, um, Courtney DeWalter, she's, she's one that falls asleep on the trail. Cause she's a, you know, she does one hard rock, 100, one of the hardest races beats all the dudes all the time, but she pushes herself to those limits and she falls asleep on the trail, uh, trail walking or whatever she calls it. But it's because once you get to a point that it's an easy route or you're so tired, you can't run anymore to get your heart rate up. She would say she would fall asleep on the trail, like sleepwalking. She'd fall asleep and fall down and her pacer would be like, Hey, wake up. Um, so yes, when we were in, um, Mid-state mile. There's two big climbs and there's two big descents. On the climbs, I would almost be falling asleep. But on the descents, every time I'd be awake. Which is odd because on the climbs, my heart rate was probably higher. But the descents were steep. They were real steep. So like you said, you needed, or like we talked about earlier, I needed to be alert. Um, so they, they would always, I would always wake up on the downs. I remember that. Yeah. Come but, to. <laughs> I mean, this is that different switch inside you where it's, Whatever it is about you, it's less phased by that. I, I might stop a race if I hadn't felt that and I started feeling myself falling asleep. I might think this isn't safe anymore. And you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, if I think I'm going to pass out, I'll probably just lay down for a minute. You know, it's just yeah. a different reaction to the same situation is I, when Kirk's first started saying, like, let's hear your strategies. At first, I thought like, oh, and then no, it doesn't. You could tell everyone that they're not going to be around to use that. Let them come take it, man. I want to, I want humans to go against humans that will level playing ground. That's why I like mid state so much and these backyard races because it takes VO2 max and pace out and it gives human will a chance to battle uh, with endurance. And it gives guys like me who aren't that fast a chance to possibly make a career out of this. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. Whether it be coaching and racing at the same time or whatever it might be. But uh, yeah, I love them, man. And um, I share, I have a whole list right here of everything that I did that I think is the reason why I won, that I was going to share for his athletes, you know what I mean? And I've been, I've been knocking them off as we go, the headphones, stuff like that. But I want everyone to have the tools to success and then it should just literally be humans going against humans. Let's go, you know? That's hardcore. Can we... Can we? Well, I was just going to ask. Okay, well, I want to continue this line of questioning and say, is there anything else uh, as yeah. far as check check boxes to check go? But then you said you have a list, so oh, do yeah. we do we dive into the list? Can we do that? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not okay. like anything crazy. I just had little bullets that I didn't want to miss. Um, the very first, and I started from my feet and went to the top, and it's ten things. Um, so started with my feet. I had more shoes than anybody there. I got made fun of. I got said, do you have enough shoes? And I said, probably not. And I wore every single pair of shoes. I can picture and John saying that. <laughs> John said it. Yep. John said it. Uh, in a Bracken would never uh, say to that to you. Bracken would never say that to you. <laughs> Look at all these shoes behind him. <laughs> yeah, you got to come with the biggest army. So I came with all the shoes. How many shoes? shoes? How many shoes six, are all the shoes? Six pairs of shoes. Which, I mean, most people had like another pair or two. Um, I had six pair and then two pair of running sandals in case, cause I had a hundred miler where all my toenails started falling off because my feet were so soggy from being wet for so long. And, uh, the toenails just started falling off. And I was like, well, if that happens, I'm not, I remember how gross it was to shove my feet back into my shoes. 
I was like, if I had running sandals, then that would be good. And so I got running sandals before the race and trained in them. And I have a pair bracken that I, I need to send you a picture of. They are, they're Solomon's mm, and they're, yeah. they're like the speed cross, but it's a yep. sandal. <laughs> I ran across them. those the other day. Yeah. Those are gnarly. I have those. Um, Who was it we were so, talking to bracken that cut the ends off of their shoes? That was probably Becca. Oh, that was Becca Jones. Yeah, that was Becca. Runs with the ends cut off, right? Yeah. That doesn't okay. surprise me. She runs in sandals. She she was mm. one of the ones who gave me the idea for the sandals. Mm. Um, and for I those actually... who don't remember the the Tennessee Mile episode, there's a little creek, barely a creek, that runs right through probably, what, 300 meters into the loop, 200 mm-hmm. meters in. And if there's been any amount of precipitation, it's hard to get across it without at least splashing once. Yeah, yeah. It, we were lucky. We You could get around it without getting your feet wet um, for us. But that but even, you, oh, I was going to say, that even becomes an issue because the longer you get into the race, the less you want to, even in the six hour, I started, started noticing, the less you want to have to rely on like any outside muscle to stabilize, to take a little sidestep or to hop and land. I don't want to do any of that. I can't imagine after 30, 40 hours that you want to be doing any picking your way, hopping, sidestepping through, you know, dude, I was, I was, I was bro. And it will talk about the knee bulletproof and the hips and stuff like that. And it's because all that crap I do. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, they, my, the guy who got second place, I listened to his podcast and he was like, I saw Justin bebopping and hopping over creeks 24 hours into this. And all I could think is he's going to snap his ankle and Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. So, okay, I'm not done before we move on. Sorry, I'm asking this on behalf of two people in particular, but now yeah. I'm just so I'm just very impressed with with you already with all this. Not that you need me to be impressed with you, but I am. So, <laughs> what, what what was the decision behind the six different shoes? Okay, and understand the sandals rationale, but like, how do you pick like why each shoe out of curiosity? Okay, so I'm gonna tell you exactly what I thought. So that the race where my feet got so soggy, um, it was a hundred miler that I. I finished in 23 hours and 50 minutes so my feet were wet for 23 hours and 50 minutes and i tried to think of how many times i would have liked to change shoes but couldn't have because i was at a mountain race and i was like well for 48 i was thinking of midstay as for four quarters four 12 hour quarters and i was like well that's at least a pair of shoes per quarter and then two extra in case i get wet in between because my idea with the shoes was you can hop over the creek all day, but eventually you're going to be sweating so much that it's going to make it into my socks. Um, and so I'll change when that happens. And my the plan was to never have wet feet for more than like a loop or two. And I, I did that because of all those shoes I had. Um, I talked about not getting your feet wet just there. So I want to hit this part. Everyone used ice bandanas. Um, where's this race that you guys are doing? Is it going to be hot? It's Michigan, and uh, it's so been. That, it looks icky, like upper nineties. Oh, yep. okay. So yeah, they might be using ice bandanas and stuff. Well, here's the trick: is you don't put ice in your bandana or ice in your buff because you can take a buff and roll up a, a ice in it, just like you can a bandana. You take a Ziploc bag and you fill that with ice. You seal that, and then you put that in your bandana because the water doesn't drip down your back into your crack, which will start. Ch- uh, cause chafing and then into your shoes which cause hot spots and blisters and we did that and it was like i started and i remember looking at a guy and i was like dude how are you not soaked from your ice 
And he said, I got them in Ziploc bags. And I was like, you're a genius. And I started doing that. So ice and Ziploc bags so it doesn't drip down you. But yeah, I, I decided to have enough pair of shoes for every 12-hour quarter plus some extra. And that's counterintuitive ice-wise because in most races, even ultras, you want the water running down because you yeah. need to cool and you're not going to be out there long enough to run into like trench foot. But in yours, you got to do opposite. Right. But you're, so look, you want that ice because it was, I mean, like 100% humidity. And we were in the green tunnel of that murder mile. No mm-hmm. wind. And so you, your sweat's not going anywhere. Scientifically, you're not cooling like you should because it's not draining off of you evaporating taking the heat with it so yes you now have to figure out a way to soak all that off of you we keep your feet dry but we figured it out and it was basically i just like there's i thought about this this place up in jersey or somewhere where you can go get a hoagie but you don't never sit down and you just bend over and eat it and all the slop goes down and then someone comes and sweep it up it's like a famous thing in that state well that's what i thought about i would just keep my feet so far away from me and they'd be gunning me with spray bottles and sponges and stuff and uh i would and then someone would have like a rag and they'd make sure none of the water going down my legs went into my shoes and it, i mean i had a crew a pit crew to keep me dry to keep me to get me wet but not my feet it was insanity it worked <laughs> all right well i'm i'm waiting patiently for the next one now because that was all right. good so we had six pairs of shoes and two sandals. Six pairs of shoes. And here come those laces that I mentioned earlier. The caterpillar. You had somebody to dry your legs off. You wanted to get wet, but not wet below the ankles. Yeah. And what I really, what I ended up doing that worked the best, there's actually a reel on my Instagram that's got like 15,000 views now. My wife put like spa music to it and put last man standing or spa day. And it's me in a chair with my feet up and like a towel on them to block any water that could get in them. And then these females all around me with like ice sponges just washing me down, man. And uh, when I saw that video, I was like, no, yeah, no wonder I won, dude. My, I was freezing every time I would start my loop. I would literally be shivering and everyone was just like red and hot and overheating. <laughs> so, uh, but I said Caterpie shoelaces. They are, it's a brand of shoelaces. And like back in the day, there were spiral ones that you could pull. And you never had, you let go, you never had a tie. You got some? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Caterpie. I had those in all my shoes. Um, so that, uh, but one, but one pair. And the one pair of shoes that didn't have these stretchy shoelaces that you don't have to tie, I got caught trying to put on. And I remember there was a bunch of people standing around me because they were like, why did you take off your shoes? I came in at 18 and a half minutes, no spare time. But my feet were squishy, and I remember, you know, can't have wet feet. So I just sit down and kick my shoes off, and my whole crew looks at me like, what are you doing? Like, we're supposed to prep for that for, like, at least a lap. And uh, I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Just give me a pair of shoes. And they threw the ones without the Caterpies. And I went to go put them on, and I'm looking at the clock, and it's almost in single digits, almost in 10, 9, 8. And I'm trying to get this shoe on, and this is the first shoe. And I remember I slipped that one on and I get the second one and it won't go because it's so tight. And I squealed like someone was killing a pig. And I went, and I put it on, dude. And I, I ripped skin off my thumbs and took off <laughs> took off running uh, because I had shoelaces that were tied uh, from, I guess, the lap before or something. And my feet had swollen, uh, swelled up and I couldn't get them back on. But the Caterpie shoelaces, they stretch. 
and uh, yeah, they avoid that issue or help you uh, avoid that issue. Yeah. All right. So next, next on the list, I got salty britches or um, whatever your chafing ointment is. Mine is salty britches and will always be. Um, I put that on at the beginning of this 40 hour race in my groin area only uh, in my crack and didn't chafe the entire time for 40 hours. And like I said, I was soaked. I was washing my natural body fluids that help you stay slippery off. And now I'm eating. No, I wasn't squeaking because I had salty britches. Um, what about your salty stuff? britches? We've talked about this. It is the nuclear option. It is maybe overkill for a general use because it's so hard to even get it off your hands once you apply yeah, it. Yeah, it's but so the oily. The race, gone disto. It is, it's one of those actual like mm-hmm. weapons. It would just be an advantage to you to use it over any other anti-chafe I've ever used. It's, yeah, man, it is hard. As soon as you touch it, you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, rubber um, gloves. I so, put it on with gloves. Yeah, you really should. Especially, I mean, it could, um, when I was using trekking poles a lot, mm. I would go to put it on and I'd go get my trekking poles and I'd be like, oh, man, that's never coming off. That's on there for good, for the race. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so a chafing, a chafing ointment and then a good pair of shorts, uh, anti-chafe shorts. I use Exoskin. Um, Exoskin, I've been using them since I started ultra running. And I remember I had a 100-mile race before I learned about exo skin and, and good compression. And I, at the end of the race, I got in the shower and was like, ah, cause I had all this chafe that I didn't know about next race exo skin from there on out. That's never happened to me again. Um, Bracken, you said the armpits. I didn't chafe this time from that. I think it might've had something to do with, I was going shirt on shirt off sleeveless shirt, shirt with sleeves. I had so many different rotating things. I don't think it ever was rubbing long enough in one spot. But something that does rub and is next on the list is KT tape on the nipples. Just like the salty britches, especially if you got a little hair, <laughs> that KT tape, it's going to stay on there longer than you want it to stay on. And you will feel zero nipple rub effects. Um, so you're doing that all before you start. You're throwing KT tape uh, yeah. over the nips. Your gooch is all lubed up. And... So I, when I do this, I picture myself like in a foggy field with a bunch of other gladiators sharpening their sword. You know what I mean? Yeah, KT tape on the nipples. I got my pasties. I'm ready to go. Uh, <laughs> I made so the KT switch to tape. that this year. What's that? KT tape. That's what I use as well. I switched to yeah. that before and actually leading up to Tennessee last year. And the, the first time I did it, I realized I should have been doing this all along. Dead. So, so money, money. Yeah. Um it, uh, I was going to say, oh, the only downfall is, is when you do take your shirt off, like I, I took my shirt off. Cool. I'm a cool guy. Got this, these cool abs I've earned over the last you know few months, whatever. And here comes the picture lady. I'm got a good pose and come pictures come out. I got pasties on <laughs> and they're like nude colored. So it's like, does he have nipples? <laughs> I have black. It's uh, so, better than yeah, becoming Andy Bernard, isn't it though? Yes, it is. I never understand. Like my shirt would be gone when I see people come through with blood. I'm like, I wouldn't. I don't care what I look so, like. I would never so, do you see that? Have you seen bloody nips on the shirts? You see that? At I, I've, I've seen that one race that I've been to. It was my friend um, Matt Matt Chanel. He's a YouTuber, and he uh, yeah, he had one bloody nip, one real bloody one. Oh, I go for um, an hour and a half run, and I am chafed on both my lats and my armpits. And if I don't wear the right shorts in the gooch, for sure. Uh, but armpits oh, yeah. every time. What am I missing here? Is it these big lats of mine popping out, or what is it? 
Dude, it could be. I mean, do you wear you don't wear any you and no shirt? No, no shirt, of course. Rhetoric. But do you have question, that uh, that uh, heart rate band? No. No. If I'm shirtless know, in summer, right there. You'll, yeah, that's where I get it. Yep. Hmm. I guess maybe I, I don't. Deposit. I haven't ran shirtless enough this summer. But yeah, I would throw, slap some salty britches one on there. But or if it was a a last man standing, and I knew that was a problem spot for me, I'd put a piece of KT tape right here and right here. And um, mm. on the, you know, wherever, vice versa, where it's rubbing. It's not a problem during. It's a problem for the next two days afterwards. That's really oh what it gosh. is. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the real deal with Chafe. Chafe won't end your race, but it'll distract the hell out of you. Um, uh, you talk, uh, so sleeves. I have sleeves for night. Sleeves and a buff. Like, you know, we're talking 90 degrees up in Michigan. Probably gets pretty dang cold at night, though. Um, but even if not... I know when it got nighttime, I was like, okay, I'm glad I had, I had a buff and then I had, I would take my shirt on in the corral. And then when we would leave, I'd, you know, take my shirt off, but I was glad I had those extra layers and stuff. Um, you never know. So I would take at least one extra long sleeve and like a beanie cap or a buff. I'm going to distract um, you here, but continuing mm-hmm. on with the night conversation, how were the bugs? Hmm. Not bad. So the bad bugs were in the day, and it was Those deer flies. Deer flies. Oh. Yes. And the problem was is Tennessee Mile, I was moving fast enough. Uh, and at the, wet, the winter, you don't really need to. Or uh, maybe that's why Luke Balschweiler went faster. But when you're going that 18-minute pace, it isn't fast enough. They're just mm-hmm. all around you. And there's not enough people to distract them. Yeah. No, especially, yeah, a day or two in. Um and they're always at the same spot. They're always at like the top of the climbs or like I would always find them buzzing around the same areas. But they lit that, me up. Yeah, that'd be enough right there. I'd be out. That's my least favorite thing in the world. I, I did wind sprints two days ago on my recovery run at five minute pace because I could not tolerate it. One, it took one too many bites behind the ear. And I was like, nope, not doing it anymore. Done. There was people <laughs> who did the year before who had those citronella um, bracelets around their uh, their biceps actually, mm-hmm. I guess to keep them off their back. I don't it's know. It's the worst works. because I mean, our trails are Midwest trails in summer. You're just eating alive. So you have to decide, am I, am I going to just overheat and wear a shirt and avoid the deer flies? Or am I going to be comfortable temperature wise? And then just, are a you guys times in I Michigan put a t-shirt too? over my head and I let it swing like a horse's tail behind me. That's Ooh. actually a good idea. Yeah. So I'll good. carry the buff. And the buff like the Egyptians would do, like whack mm. their back with it. You know what's interesting about that is I was doing that with my uh, Boko hat yeah, two days ago. I was doing that exact same thing. And my heart rate went from like 134 to 144 just oh, yeah. from the how it tensed me up and made me annoyed. And I was like, that'd make a big difference in an ultra if that was your strategy. We were obviously camping this week, and I went for my first trail run since surgery. Uh, hey. Only my second continuous run that wasn't walk run, and I just wanted to go. Well, it wasn't as glorious as you'd imagine because I wanted to just go dawdle, and I get a mile and a half in, and I hit the grassy sections, and deer flies attacked, and so I had to get down under six minute pace to get away from them, and I don't have the fitness, and suddenly I'm oh, yeah. too far away from camp, but I can't slow down, <laughs> and it was just a terrible, awful, awful run trying to hold it together stay ahead of the deer fly with just no fitness to support that type of effort. 
all terrible. <laughs> I, I don't the, run the rest of the trip. The flies around me don't get shook off six minute pace. Unfortunately, I feel like it takes even more. Fast. It's terrible. I'll be Fast done. Flies I'll be over dead. here. Y'all be fine. They'd all be on me. We'll just I didn't run it. <laughs> I ran one time this trip. I gave it one. I said, that's it. I don't care enough. <laughs> I wouldn't, I would have, yeah, I would have, uh, taken it off too, especially after surgery. No, what's messed up about well, the deer flies too is as soon as let's say you stop to pee or something, mm. like they're they're instigated by movement. Like you stop to yeah. pee and you sit there for thirty seconds and they're gone. It's like they need something to chase. It's the worst. Yeah, jab it at like my that? calves. Yeah, why are they like I that? Feel bumping into your I, face every five seconds. Yep, Frickin you stop. Frick. I stop and I was like, all right, hit me again. Land on my face. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. They don't. They'll bite me through that boco hat through the holes in it because it's wide enough and without hair underneath. I get bit on the back of the head. It drives me nuts. Oh, that's the worst, man. Yeah, that's the mm. worst when they hit you on the head. Yeah, it is good, yeah. though, Bracken, about that towel back like a horsetail. That might be genius. In fact, you could that's probably right. sell a specific product designed for that. With, like, cat and nine tail thing hanging down? <laughs> like, just whacking? Mm-hmm. I wear one of my craft nano mesh shirts that's really, really light so my head can breathe a little bit, and then it just flits back there without feeling like I've got all this sweaty shirt on me. And it looks cool, I have to imagine, to people that see you out there. So cool. Look, yeah, ponytail. Uh, this this is mid-state <laughs> stuff. I'm going to bring a, a lightweight shirt to ponytail it with next year. That's right. All right, so you got your sleeves. You had your buff. Yeah, man, and then... Um, I went with, so headlamps, um, <clears throat> too late for your friends, but Amazon, you can get a hundred AAA batteries for $20. And that is the best deal I've found. Um, and then Walmart sells energizer headlamps and they have one for 25 bucks and it is waterproof and 450 lumens. And, in my opinion, all you really need, well, all you need at all, if you're balling on a budget but all you really need ever. Um, I do have a good pe- Petzl headlamp, but all my backups, these Energizer ones, man, I've, I run through the mountains that I've been explaining, through the weather that I've talked about with these Energizer headlamps, and dude, they've t- stand the test of time. So that was a, a money saver one there. And um, to have an extra head, a, a few extra headlamps, um, especially- what about, I want to ask on your behalf, Bracken, because you mentioned the waste light or the mm-hmm. waste yes, those lamp. Are good. I think that matters when speed matters. I think for, for a backyard or for just a grinded out session, if you're not paying several hundred, you might as well pay 25 bucks. That's the way I look at lights because the real difference happens when you get above like 200 bucks or more. Yeah, you get a Kogala, Kogala light, they, they yeah. have those waste you look like a semi truck coming through the woods. And I mean, if I'm running a 19 hour, 100 miler in a mountain race, I'm going to want to be able to see all that because you don't want to clip roots and stuff. But like for this, I did, you can take those energizer ones and you can max them out and you can, I'm, I have a 31 inch waist and I put them around my waist. And especially if you have like a naked waist belt Mm -hmm. or ultra, any waist belt and you have something in there, it keeps, you know, it's hard to explain. It keeps that headlamp from bouncing. You just keep it right under your waist belt. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was it, man. You don't waste your money on a, the really expensive ones unless you're rich. Then, yeah, go get the semi-truck waste light. But, Kirk, you talked um, about the waste one I used, and I used it for Tennessee, and I loved it. It was an Ultraspire waste light. Oh, so yeah, Ultraspire. It has, a, like, a $12 rechargeable battery, so you can have an extra battery with you. For like 36 bucks, you have all night of batteries sitting on your waist or your crew has it, and it just pops in and out easy. But 
for descending, I need something on my head and my waist. If I want, yeah. if I want to descend, like I wanted to descend in Tennessee, but yep. otherwise, yeah, I don't, I think you can ball in a budget with that. Yeah. What's the price yeah. point of that ultra spire? No, I got, I think I got the, I either got the six or 800 lumen because I, I wanted to bomb with no issue when I was fatigued, but that, I think I got it on sale for like 140, but you I think get, they, you, yeah, there's 300 lumen one, I think is 90 bucks. It's like nice, yeah. right under a hundred bucks for their, for their lowest one. And I think for a waist light, you could, that'd probably be okay for most people. That's yeah. Cause it's considering in, so ultra spire, the cool thing about their light as well so i have an ultra spire pack the speed goat uh 3.0 mm-hmm. and it has the two 16 ounces in the back but ultra spire they're light you can fix it to the front of that you, it comes with the interchangeable so instead of having that pocket in the front now you have your light and which isn't to be said about the kogala the kogala you buy and it's just you know a light you got to fix it onto something else you need a naked um, belt or whatever yeah something to put it on yeah. um yeah but money wise, yeah, that's cheapest. Your Kogala is like two fifty or something. Yeah, if you if you want the best waist light, I think it's Kogala. You 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 got to do that, and and there's just no way around it. And if you have one of those, you are it is. I mean, it's you daylight. Lead the train. <laughs> it's daylight. Yep. Oh, what do I have? Oh, so yeah, I have next is my waist pack uh, for the backyards. A lot of a lot of people just went out especially for this one mile loop backyard race they went out with nothing because you're back in 20 minutes and essentially you don't you can take your swig of however many ounces of fluids and eat your goo when you're there i never i don't do that i always go with wipes a goo and a honey stinger and a water source wherever i go um I mean that wherever I go in a race, like I'm not going to leave an aid station without those items. I'm not the house. <laughs> uh, so oh, where you leave. live, you might need that just <laughs> it, for the man. Might be smart, yeah. <laughs> so I would always have those, those items on me. Those, you know, if you got to take a poo in the woods, you got your wipes and that's, it's, it's really important in these backyard races because personal hygiene is a big deal when it comes to chafing and time at these is you're moving fast so you don't you want to have baby wipes on you and accessible in my opinion and then what is uh what is the trail etiquette with uh pooping on the path when you got to go and you're just like i can't make it back because i have to imagine it happens dozens and dozens of times out there what is the etiquette uh, so you want to go far there? enough off trail to not be seen um to not be i mean people might see your headlamp they might is that someone? Oh, I'm not going to look, but they're not going to see someone squatting and see it. You know what I mean? You just go a little ways off and try to behind a tree. And But what do you do with mom? it after it's done? Like in the hunting world, oh. I'm a camper, a hiker. It's you bring a little mini shovel. You don't surface shitters. They call them. You don't surface shit. You dig a hole. <laughs> you put that in there. You bury it. That is respectful. I'm sick of seeing these people. It's a thing in, in my community anyways. Yeah. But I imagine in a race, you're not you're not doing that. Yeah, so this is private property, and Becca put it out. She said, y'all can poop on the trail, um, but be courteous. Don't do you know, let people see your private parts, and then cover it up. Yeah, so you, you don't want to just leave it out in the open, um, but I'm not digging a hole. I'm uh, kicking some dirt or some leaves and going back to where I came from. But I told Becca what she needed to do, because you know most people have pretty good integrity, is that if you pooped on the loop, it was a $10 fee. Because someone's got to go clean those. 
unless you have biodegradable baby wipes, someone's got to go get those. At some point in time, somewhere, it's been littered into the universe. You know what I mean? So $10 That's for not... you to go to the bathroom on course. I, yeah. I went by a guy. I was running a fifth, uh, uh, 50, uh, 25K a couple of weeks ago. And a guy doing the 50K, they started earlier. And he was he was walking down the trail like he just got off a horse, you know, just oh, yeah. whizzing and walking just oh, fast. Yeah. And he didn't seem to really care. He figured, well, you're going to go by me. You're not going to look back at my dong, right? So he just did it like no big deal. Gave me a wave like it was, that was normal. That's odd. Not normal? That's, uh, no, not in okay. that kind of race. <laughs> I <laughs> saw it. He seemed uh, to kind of be proud of it, to be honest. With I the knew one guy face. who did it before these ba- these backyard races. Once you pass a certain amount of hours, it's like, yeah, you might see some crazy stuff. But on the trail in a regular race, I remember the first time I saw it, and it was this 70-year-old dude who has, like, <clears throat> FKTs in the 70s here. Um, his name's Richard Schick. He's just this local legend old guy. And it was him. He was peeing. And they're like, yeah, Richard does whatever he wants. Don't worry about him. <laughs> so they addressed it and told me, don't worry. He does whatever. So then that told me that ain't normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's not normal. I, you know. I not crude a guy but i paced a guy uh well-known guy world champion uh, in an ultra once and uh he did that he pulled it out peed while like side shuffle crab walking i decided right then and there like nah i'm gonna pee my pants it's way pee your pants pee your pants or just stop and i mean my thing is like if you really really gotta pee that might take 60 seconds so like uh, still coming out still coming out i'm gonna i don't know i mean for me the my races and stuff i don't know I don't see the benefit. Yeah. I, if I get urine onto me, that I'm a hygiene person. That's about you're starting to chafe and stuff again. I'm, yeah, I, I guess shorter race where the seconds would be worth it. I yeah. Kirk oh yeah, yeah. In, oh, for you, yeah, hundred percent. In Tahoe, I I saved it till I got out of the swim. I had to pee for a long time and I was like, I'm just going to wait. It was like, I held it for probably 25 minutes. And then when I got out of the swim and I was shaking, I was cold. I got my jacket on and then I peed my pants. Just kind of like warm that's me smart. up a little bit. That's smart. Yeah. How does anybody smart. move and pee at the same time? And I have tried my best alone, like out on a run. Like you I'll just power hike and pee. First. You got to pee first. You got to get mm. it going and so then you take off. Stop, start the pee, and then walk while you're peeing. But you have to that's, stop to get the flow going. Okay. That's the only way I've been able to get it done. <laughs> I can I can initiate a pee while running down to about six. 30, maybe <laughs> Shut your face. You cannot. You're a bull-faced liar. Under that, I don't think I could do it under 620 pace. You can pee but, at 630. Stop it. But it takes me probably 200 meters to get the first drop out. Yeah. It's like really this, trying? It's like a yoga practice. I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm centering myself. I'm relaxed. Because you have to like relax an area that doesn't want to be relaxed. It, it's like oh, yeah. this unfurling process in your gut or whatever. I don't know what's happening, but it takes me probably 30 seconds to get my pee started if I'm running fast enough. Something wrong with our anatomy. Like, we have to try so hard, so hard to keep the back end in, right? Like, everything in you to keep it in. And it takes everything in you to get it out the front end. It's just bizarre. It's bizarre networking down there, isn't there? I had a friend, or I do have a friend, who is a vegan. And he is the only person that I know of who has, like, repeatedly gotten constipation and ultras and we have documented the release of his constipation and it is just scientifically man i we he put it online you know to get some questions answered (laughs) that's how crazy this was but uh, yeah normally during an ultra 
big time, dude. I'm talking when I saw he said, Justin, come here, look at this. And I looked on the ground. I was like, there's no human <laughs> way that is not come out of you. And I took pictures. I put my hand next to it For scale <laughs> on the, on the ground. Yes. And took a picture and it was twice the size of my hand. I'm like ripped, bro. I'm like, there's no way that's you need stitches. <laughs> <laughs> what a day to be alive. Yeah, man. Ultra ultra. You can't really talk about ultras in any serious capacity without talking about poop and pee, though, can you? Nah. No. No. Do I have that? Is that next? Wipes. Wipes <laughs> in the pack, but we already mentioned that. Um, I suppose that matters more in the, the traditional backyard four-point whatever loop rather than the 1.1. Because that one, you're out far enough that you got to make a business decision. Yes. Um, the way it worked for me at Mid-State is I would try to hold it to get to the porter potty but by the time i got to the porter potty, i wouldn't have to go any number two again and then mid loop i'd have to go really bad and i'm like all right i can make it i'm definitely gonna have to go and i never would have to go when i got to the porter potty so i always ended up on the trail but i was there a climb up to the finish i find if there's a climb it sucks itself back in and then when you descend nah, or run flat it wants to okay that it's doesn't make descent. any sense to me all right sucks itself back in. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, so I always ended up pooping on course. Um, but <laughs> I only did it twice. How much money did you owe? It would have been oh, 20 bucks, 20 but she bucks. didn't take me up on that. I uh, I front load with Pepto. Yeah. Like, so for the first six hours, I took a Pepto, like every, uh, and it was like a double one. It was a big one. So it was like what, you know, normal, a normal dose. I would take a dose about every hour. And it stopped me. I didn't have to go for the first 24 hours. So that's good. If you got 24-hour races coming, that might. I mean, I've always done that. I did have a Tennessee Mile. Um, I think I went once. But, yeah, that's my little trick for that, Pepto. Hmm. But that. you want next on the list is ice buckets <laughs> with sponges. Um, I never saw... I saw people with, with sponges that they had a big like horse trough and they would take um, sponges in there, but the water was like hot. I had like an ice cooler with cold sponges and literally I like ice cubes stuck to them. And I would use that to bend over and rinse all that hot water off my head and stuff like that and really um, drop my core temperature. Like I said, I'd be leaving shivering in the heat of the day, um, at least for the first few, first few minutes uh, or first minute. But the thing about Mid-State Mile is it's a 20-minute loop, so that's not that long to make it back to the cold ice chair with the crazy nice ice ladies again. So I would be like, I just got to make it back to the Paradise Ice Queens to rinse me off, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But the four-miler the four -miler one, that's a little more, you know, a little more time out there on feet and the heat. So I have uh, ice buckets, um, wired headphones. I already mentioned that. I had... My Bluetooth, um, I don't want to open it, probably mess this thing up, but my Bluetooth beats by Dre, and I would put them in, and one would hook up, and one wouldn't, and it would, took me at least a minute at the first time to get them to hook up, and so with wired phones that plug into your, wired headphones that plug into your phone, you can just come in, you plug them in, put them in your ears, turn that white noise, or uh, rain on a tent is another good one to help fall asleep, and uh, jack that volume up, man, um, and try to go to sleep. And what my um, sleep strategy is, is I close my eyes 
and I just think black. I think the word black, black, black. And I try to think darker, darker, blacker, blacker. And then I start, once I'm thinking black, I start counting. Count from one to a million, try to. And I generally only make it a few, to about 10 or 12, and then I'm out. Um, so that's that's what I do. It works for me. Uh, white noise in the in the ears. Think black, 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 and count, and you'll probably fall asleep. Hopefully, <laughs> um, that and that's it. Uh, oh, so after plan. After plan is my last one on the list, and that is you talked about it. Bracken driving around trying to find somewhere to sleep. Um, these last man standing races, you essentially don't know. I mean, if you're going, you don't know how long you're going to run for unless you have a 24 hour time goal or something. So it's hard to, so say for instance, we got done at 3am and I had two toddlers and my wife and all this crap to get somewhere off of these people's property. And we had no plan. We ended up getting lucky. We found a, a hotel in downtown Nashville that had a room and was open and we, we got to drive but, though. Yeah, still drive. But we, I mean, it was that or drive home for four hours. And we went to the hotel. But yeah, I would have some, at least an idea, because we had no absolute clue what we were going to do. So I would have some idea. Hey, we're going to try to get a hotel. Um, And the good thing about these races is, so when I went to Mid-State, I remember thinking, oh man, there's not going to be any hotels because of (laughs) Mid-State. That's how like, naive i was <laughs> i was like the 75 people coming to an hour outside of nashville is gonna make a difference uh, but yeah so there's generally hotels open for us you know what i mean mm-hmm. unless there's a football game or celtics like uh brackenhead it's tough though like because what if you what if you get done at seven in the morning or nine you you got to get lucky that a hotel will let you check in early or you got to pay for an extra that's night. a good point that's a good point yeah mm-hmm. um man my my uh way around that would be a campsite um mm-hmm. you can use their showers and stuff but some places but that's it those are my brings and to do's for uh the things that i remember saying hey i'm i'm doing that again or i wish i would have that's my list right there man um that's all i got for that what uh you get five foods your top Ooh. five foods what are they so I'm going to have tailwind powder, nutrition tailwind for, for drinking. And I consider that a calorie, like a, a solid. I count that in when I'm doing my math. Um, so I have tailwind for calories and carbs, honey stingers, calories and carbs, goose, calories and carbs. Honey stinger, what? Waffles? Waffles. Yeah. The, so honey stinger makes um, the little tiny waffles. There's where three of them are equivalent to one big one. And for ultras, those are freaking on point because you just toss one in your mouth and kind of run, chew it up a little bit, and drink some water, and it just goes down. Um, so honey stingers, goose, tailwind, uh, grits, or white rice. Plain, bland carb. Something you can throw in, drink some water, and swallow it with the water. Um, Salted, buttered, or just literally boiled in water? Just, yeah, just, yeah, it don't matter. No, no I mean, sodium, it, nothing? It doesn't matter for me, because... I guess item number five would be my salt tabs. Those are that with those, that list of items I can run. I don't know for a long time, because if my stomach starts not liking the sugar, then I'll stop with the tailwind and I'll stop with the goo and the honey stingers. And I'll just hammer water, salt tabs, white rice. And it sucks. It's not good. It's not fun, but it's, uh, 
yeah, that's how you win. If you're starting to stomach go south, get water, salt tabs, bland food, and a little bit at a time. You start getting that for your people running this race, they're likely going to experience GI problems at some point. And they start getting that nausea, take a break, you know what I mean? Start thinking about what you've been eating and maybe you need a loop with just water, salt tabs, and some bland food. Remember that pretzels, white rice, something very bland. I was told uh, the brat diet, bananas, rice, applesauce, and toast, That's, but yeah. nothing on it. Those three things. It's like if you have those and you have a sour stomach, stick to those and you should turn around. But what, yep, I mean, yep, yep. I don't know if there's any merit to that or not. Bananas are good. Bananas are real good because they, you can force feed yourself. Bananas, but that's why I like the white rice too. It's because like, so say you, so you, say you go to eat a goo and you're having GI issues and it's because of the sugar or whatever. As soon as you put that goo in your mouth, I'm going to start gagging or, you know, wanting to puke. If I put white rice in my mouth, I'm not going to get that same sense. If I put a banana in my mouth, I don't really get that either. But with the white rice and the banana, you can just smash it to the roof of your mouth with your tongue almost and just drink water and take a bite of banana, smash it, drink water, and it goes down. Take white rice, and I would have takeout dishes. So take off the carton, and it would just be a hand, like a ball of rice. I'd take a bite, swig of water, bite, swig of water. And it just you can really force feed those foods down. You ever do sticky rice? You make little power balls out of it. Sticky rice. Uh It's a type of. It's akin to sushi rice. Oh, it sticks together. You can make little balls. Oh, put little nuggets of whatever you want inside the ball. Smart. No, I need to do that though. I've uh, I've wondered about a good way to trans. I mean, because I would just put rice in a Ziploc bag. A good way to transport like bite-sized pieces. That'd be nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's easy to make too. What is your advice? What is your advice for somebody? So you are not one of these people, but uh, the ones who actually have to worry about the time cutoffs due to their ability level. Like, let's say somebody knows, hey, like, I, I'm going to have to be working to make these cutoff, time cutoffs. Some people can, you know, sleep through the lap and make the cutoffs. And then some have to work a little bit, right? Where they're going to be cutting it close because of their fitness, even from one of the early laps. There's always people that show up in that boat. Um, what is your advice for them? So that is, man, um, this sucks because what my big key basically theme for mid state or these backyards is, is that you need to show up with that loop being really easy to do to be able to have mistakes and to be able to have time. Let's, but now you've given me the, (laughs) the problem that, that this person doesn't have that fitness. So then you need to have zero mistakes. Um, yeah, you got to have zero mistakes and you need to be tough. You need to be tough because now you're not so fit. Um, and tough people can win these backyard races because you, you're moving at four miles an hour and that's not that fast. You can eat and, and you can, you know, do pretty much anything you need to do at four miles an hour with your heart rate low as heck. Um, it's just, I mean, that sucks. That's a hard question to answer, man. It's just to remember to be tough. That's your, that is your weapon now. If you don't have the fitness, now you better be a tough guy. Or um, or it's, it's going to be one of those things where, hey, I'm going out here to do 12 hours or 24 hours. But you're going to a race. Essentially, when I'm going to Littles, I'm going to Littles Backyard. I'm going there 
against tough people who have fitness. You know what I mean? You're going to be, there's going to be people at your friends races who are tough, but I've also been putting in the work um, to get it to back that toughness up. So you got to be even more tough, man. And that just goes to, it falls back on why are you there? What are you willing to sustain and to accept as normal? What are you willing to accept as normal? And some people have a higher pain capacity for other than others. Um, but I can promise anyone who's listening that no matter how much they think they're done and how much they think they can't go any faster, no matter how empty the tank is, you can go back out there. You can get one more in. You can get another loop. Or you can, you can time out on trail. But you don't need to sit down in that chair. Because anyone I've talked to who sits down in that chair and says, I just can't make it out, uh, another one, you regret it. You regret mm-hmm. it because you've, you've ceremoniously quit instead of going out there until you give it your all. You know what I mean? And if you go out there and you're not as fit as everybody, but you give it your all and you literally cannot go another step, you didn't lose. <laughs> I mean, everyone but the winner DNFs a last man standing. That's not 74 losers behind me at Mid-State. Those people won. The people who stayed in the fight. And then we know who went out there, or we don't know. Some people went out there and they sat behind a tree and watched the clock run out. You know who you are, and you're going to regret it until next year. But go out there, remember why you're there, and, and don't quit on yourself. And you cannot lose. You can't. That's my best advice for the unfit people. <laughs> I like yeah, it. man. <sighs> yeah, it sucks. Um, it sucks because the people at these backyard races—they're just—they're um, a different breed, dude. The ones who, who, the ones who win these. This guy who won Littles last year—he just went out and ran for like another sixty hours at a backyard. Sixty hours at a backyard race, like uh, around the same time as Midstate, and he. Uh, I posted on my story to my friends, hey, I'm going to Littles. Who's coming? And his wife <laughs> commented and said, oh, we'll be there or, or something along those lines. And I was like, so now this is the guy that I'm going up again is someone who can run for 60 hours. I've never ran that far. So what am I going to do? Get tough. I'm going to get tough in training, um, compound on top of everything I got, and hopefully Will versus Will, he breaks and I don't. Uh, or – Maybe there's some other guy in the, in the, in the, at the bottom of the ultra sign-up list who no one's ever read his name before, like Lucas Rivard, who's going to win and beat everybody. You know what I mean? There's no telling. But it's, it's not going to be somebody who's not fit and not tough. That person ain't going to win. <laughs> not at all. For perspective and to humanize this a little bit, um, I would like uh, – I would like you to share with us what you believe your fastest all-out mile is right now, your fastest all-out 5K would be right now, and let's say your fastest all-out road marathon. I know these are guesses. I just want people to understand, like you tell, you say you're slow, for example. Like you say, I'm not as fast as you guys. But I think it's very important for people that you're looking at something. I think it's important for people to understand like what it really takes to win these things, and it's and now you are very fit, so I'm not taking that away from you. But um, 
But I want to know, like, because I think there's a whole category of people out there who's like, I'm never going to win a 5K. I'm never going to show up to a Spartan sprint and be on an elite podium. Where's my place? Well, where is yeah, their place? Here. Do you do you understand what <laughs> right I'm, I'm, I'm getting at? So, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. so, so tell us what your your PRs potentially would be right now on a good day for those distances. I'm seeing 505 for the mile. I've never broke five minutes. I've never tried. Um, I've ran okay. 530 before. So 505 for a mile, 5K, 19 minutes. Um, a marathon, I put uh, a 730 pace. I believe I could hold 745 mm-hmm. maybe. So three hours and three and a half hours. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. And those are all respectable. But yeah, it's so, not but the I mean, kind you got, of thing so, that would say I'm going to make a living off running to the average person. They wouldn't think that. No, no, or be or be considered. I'm not going to say elite because the backyard folks like look. You know, I mean, I'm not considered elite. So it is. I mean, yeah, man. It would be difficult for me to make a living, even if I just become the world's best backyard racer in the world. Um, you got to go out into the map for me. It's, it's, um, Barkley or my world record that I'm going to attempt. Um, those are my big get on the map races or events or things that I believe I got to do, um, because I'm not fast, not super fast and can't go out and win Western States or win hard rock or get top 10 and have a shoe sponsor notice me It's so on and so forth. You know what I mean? I got to go out few years from now and win one of these really really hard races um so i mean it's a long it's a long con for me i'm staying in it and just trying to get real tough um in the process the the sooner people come to that conclusion the better this year indoor track for the ncaa mile you had to break 357 to make it to nationals (laughs) you had to be a 356 miler to qualify for nationals right so what do they take? Somewhere around twenty to nationals, Kirk. Yeah, a little I think more. About twenty. Yeah. No, so yeah, some events right like sixteen, somewhere like twenty-four. It doesn't matter. If just those people turn pro afterwards, are there twenty-four shoe contracts every year available? Yeah. No, there aren't. Now, what about in the eight hundred? I wouldn't imagine. In the five k and the ten k and the potential marathoners, mm-hmm. there aren't hundreds of pro contracts waiting just for male Americans and then female Americans. Like, they aren't. There aren't a thousand contracts every year. So being a sub four minute miler doesn't even make you fast from a pro sense anymore. Fast is relative. 505 to some people is world-class speed. To other people, it is a minute slower than their mile pace. And that's not enough to get a pro contract. So, if if sub four minute mile isn't really considered fast anymore, I think five high schoolers broke four this year. Yeah. So to to a pro runner, sub four just isn't fast anymore. Then we can all just rest easy and say, <laughs> if we're all not fast compared to someone else, let's go find the event that suits us. And that man, that's such a find your strength and and and, and focus on and compound on top of it. Also, you know, obviously you need to know your weaknesses and do stuff too. But so after this backyard mid-state mile, I got home. <clears throat> I got an email from North Face that I was not accepted, of, rightfully so, to be one of their professional athletes for that season. Um, mm-hmm. 
out of the 2,500 people who applied, I'm sure most of them had pretty stellar races compared to me. Um, so I was like, what do I need to do? I was like, I need to do something. And I was like, and I had a hundred miler coming up that I was going to go try to break the course record for the 19 hour thing that I keep talking about. And I was like, but I don't, that's really hard for me to do. Like I really, that's really against my natural born talent. I have to do speed work and all this other stuff. You have to and do speed work it. for a hundred miler. Oh yeah. Did you said, is that, no, no, I'm not, I'm not combating that. Cause I agree with you, but you got to do speed work and stuff to run a hundred. I just think that's funny. Continue. Oh, because it's shorter. Yeah. Because so it's like, so short, yeah. yeah. yeah Got to drop so down short, distance. <laughs> yeah. Perspective, yeah. folks. It's all relative. Yeah, that's funny. Um, so, yeah, I was like, well, I'm going to compound on this toughness that I have. I remember saying at the end of mid-state, I looked at Eric, the guy who got second. I was like, dude, we're tough guys. Like, my whole life I wanted to be a tough guy, but I would, like, break my finger and pass out or puke when I saw blood. I was just never a tough guy. And then I remember at the end of mid I was like, I'm a tough guy. <laughs> uh, so I was like, babe, I'm going to compound on this tough guy fitness that I have. And I'm going to sign up for this backyard race. And I'm going to pull out of this 100 miler. And she was just thrilled. Um, she likes the backyards a lot better, uh, easier for her. And, you know, it's like a party. Um, so I, I was like, I'm going to compound on top of this. I'm gonna, and I entered Little Dog's Backyard Ultra with the idea of being able to meet lads and start – you know, shaking the hands I need to shake to I've the other. So a week or two ago, I put out a post that said I moved to Blairsville, Georgia to become, Georgia to become a world-class mountain racer. And that is <clears throat> a very bold state world-class. <laughs> uh, but if I win, if I finish Barkley marathons, however many years it takes me, I'm going to be a world-class ultra marathon runner. If I break the treadmill world record, when I break that record in December next year, that's world-class, you know, that's what I mean by that. That's something that someone like me has to do to get noticed. Um, and that, and that's what I know. So I have stepped back from the faster stuff that I was daydreaming about leading the pack then. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to start just compounding on top of this. I can go for a really long time thing and, uh, see where that takes me. And the good part about that is the go for a really long time benefits the treadmill record. And Barkley. I mean, they're both really long, got to stay in it races. And, uh, yeah, that's my route that I'm taking, man. You know what I always feel when we talk to Justin or people like it? Like a little B-I-T-C-H. Yeah. <laughs> How much did I run flat my gums that I did 101 miles the week before surgery? <laughs> I ran my first Not 100 that miles. Much. And I talked about it probably two or three times I referenced it. I was really excited. I was really ha- proud of myself. I did 17 miles the last day uh, and I, on tired legs. I went from 83 to 101, whatever it was, and I was like, I'm a tough guy now. <laughs> I'm not. Dude, <laughs> I'm this not is going to blow people away. So you said you ran a 100-mile week. You know all the races I've been talking about, the distances I've been talking about training mm-hmm. for? I have never ran a hundred mile week never the most i've ran is 85 miles training in a week the only time i've breached a hundred miles in a week is when i ran a 200 miler in five days that was the only time i've ever had a hundred miles in a week and so i train my, my my point is is that i train with an extreme obsessive mindset of being race specific and getting quality miles in for mid-state 
we used to look at a lot of other guys training on Strava. They had 80 to 100 mile weeks, 20,000 feet of gain. And I had four, I would have 15, 17,000 feet of gain, but I'd only have 40 miles. I was running up and down. That is it. And so when they were pulling out their patella st- straps at, uh, 24 hours in, I was good. I didn't even use poles. I didn't use poles for 90 miles of <laughs> mid-state because my everything was so intact from those quality miles. I looked at the race and I said, how many feet of game per mile am I going to have to run on race day? 340. Well, I'm going to go about 450 in training per week at least. And I was just running an egregious amount of gain and loss. And the main point of that statement is lost. I was running downhill with conviction and deliberation. And I was paying attention on downhills to what muscles I was using, engaging. And I would go home and I would put on ankle weights or uh, resistance bands. And I would try to mimic firing those muscles. I would, you know, do Spanish squats with the bands to just get my VMOs just freaking going like crazy. And I would, I went nuts on balancing everything from my basically core down my hips, my glutes, abductors, adductors, TFLs, VMOs. I would get to the point where I'd be working my VMO so much that I would get the opposite of IT band. You know what I mean? I would, uh, I would get runner's knee in the other side. And so I'd be like, well, back off there and work the, you know, uh, my quad more over here. And I'd start leveling it out and stuff. And I would be, I would be running about seven, seven to 13 hours a week. That's from base to peak week. But I was doing four to five hours of mobility and strength leading up to mid-state a week. So I was working, you know, 19, almost 19 hours a week with a good portion of that just being mobility and strength work with bands, uh, ankle weights, and um, stairs. I used the stairs in my house to mimic like knee over toe step downs, but like really slow um, and exaggerated. The knees over toe guy, mm-hmm. he does that stuff with like, I was doing that before he started posting that crap. Um, and I was doing it because this, uh, this girl who, who coaches in the ultra world, she, she sent me, she was like, Hey, she sent me a video and it was her with trekking poles on a stair set doing it. And I was like, all right. And, uh, just all types of stuff like that, man, strengthening my deceleration muscles, the muscles that slow me down on the downhill, um, and really loading up my, my knees in every capacity, uh, and then deloading and then load and then deload and load. And I would find if I would stop loading for too long, like take like two weeks, two, three weeks off of mountain running and not do the strength work. Cause it's one or the other, you run in the mountains or you do the strength work. If you don't do that, it's, you're not going to compete with the people who are. And so if I had did two weeks of flat running and no accessory work, I would start getting knee pain. I'd start feeling imbalanced and stuff like that. Um, now that I live up here, I don't have to, I just have to maintain what I got now from running up and down all this stuff. So I do a lot less strength work, but I still do. My mobility routine is about 45 minutes to an hour, and I'll do that four times a week at least. So four, so about four hours a week still, you know. Quality miles and lots questions. of strength. Yeah, man. That I wanted to talk to you since we talked on course. First is that I know like, – I like how you said that, run downhill with conviction. 
in training. That's a good way of putting it. Like it doesn't have to be just balls to the wall chaos all the time. Yeah. But it can't just be cruise control either. You have to do some conviction work because that's where you get some stress and damage from. But on course, you're not always running with conviction downhill. A lot of times it's breaking in a, in a, let's say uh, mid state. I'm assuming over the course of 40 hours, you didn't bomb 40 hours of downhills. So sometimes what I find is that if I'm practicing a certain stride, if I use a different one on course, it's not translating as well. Like if I could run faster, I'd actually be better. But sometimes when I have to go slower, it damages me, me more. So is this where some of that, that strength work comes into play? Or are you practicing deliberate downhills as well? When I said, so yeah, when I said conviction, I, the word you just used, deliberate, would probably be a better word. Um, conviction uh-huh. sometimes, yes. But what I meant more or less is, is I've summited this awesome mountain. I got my segment in and now I got to run down. No, I've summited the mountain and now I get to run down to train. Now I'm about to train the down just like I did the up. And, and like I talked about earlier, for me, it starts with my foot plant, how my foot hits the ground. When I'm running a lot in the mountains, if I start to feel some little pains and stuff, niggles in my knees or something like that, I was like, okay, I start rethinking systems check. I think about how my feet are hitting the ground. Am I hitting forefoot, heel, whatever? Or am, I, am I landing under my center of mass? I just kind of do a systems check, and generally something's off. Um, and I can be able to pull it back together. But as far as, man, this is really weird. But as far as bombing the hills, I did, dude. I did. And I don't know. And I is only, it can only relate to all the strength and mobility that I do. And the fact that I'd ran downhill just a ton in training, but I, up until like, of course I wasn't going as fast, but I remember up until like the last few hours, the last few hours I got the trekking poles because the down started to hurt and I stopped really running down them. And I would do more of like a, you kind of just throw the trekking pole out and jab them in. And I would just jabble down the, the hill. But I was pretty much, man, knees over toes running down those hills for 40 hours straight. So then tell me and what I, this leg strengthening looks like. Like, are you, do you okay. load up weight or are you doing yeah. high contraction, high reps? High contraction, like, I would like say. Like staying so, always right, so. flexed or you take like, mm-hmm. like, like a bar class almost where you, you get tense, you stay tense and you just pulse in an area for hundreds of reps or are you doing full range of motion for dozens? How, how are you, when you talk about loading, unloading, what does that look like for you? Okay. So the loading, unloading, that's specifically the mountain running. That okay. is getting 10K of gain this week or 10K of gain for three weeks and then five and then ramp it back up 11 and then do that until I'm up. Um, oh man, I just lost my chance up bracken. What about the, how much weight are you putting on your body when you're doing? So I use ankle weights. I, I use ankle weights and I just ordered 10 ones that go from two to 10 pounds. But up until then I've been using 2.5 and now they're not enough. This is what I do. I literally lay on my back. There's a video on YouTube called like Dr. Joe patella femoral pain exercises. And that's where I got most of this to begin with was from a PT on YouTube. And I was like, I looked at what she did and I was like, I can turn that into ultra stuff and add a ankle weights. So I lay on my back and I do scissor kicks or whatever, you know, you mm-hmm. bring your foot 
two feet off the ground and you hold it for four seconds and then you lower it down and then you bring it back up. You don't touch the ground, you bring it back up and then you lower it for, hold it for four seconds, you bring it back down and you do that for 12 reps and then you, you switch legs, you do it again and then you flop on your side, not like you're kind of like a side plank, but you're relaxed and then you do your up to the side, you raise your leg laterally to the side and then you lay on the other side and it's hard to explain, um, it's hard to articulate, but you flip your leg over and now like the inside of your thighs go into the air and then you roll over on your belly and now you're kicking, you're doing Superman, but with um, ankle weights. And so the, I'll do those and I'll do two sets of those ones. And I usually do that prior to my range of work, motion workout, which is then one to two minute pose holds, which is like deep within like, uh, trying to think of a name of one that's a pigeon pose so a pigeon pose that a lot of people know you sit in that for two minutes and you really just start loose and so first you warm up and strengthen or i do i warm up and strengthen stuff but with the lifts and ankle weights and then with the stair step downs and knee over toes i do those as well before the ramwad and and then i go into the 22 minute ramwad and it's literally an app that crossfitters use and i do the the running it's called a ready to run and it's six days and I just do that on repeat. And, uh, that's my range of motion workout. And then as far as like strength work, other than those, um, those ankle weights, all I do is body weight. I do, um, like banded squats, um, monster walks, a ton of stuff. I'm putting together a video right now, chronologically, like I sit down with the foam roller and then I go into strength with the ankle weights and bands. And then I go into Ramwad. And then I go into, uh, I do, um, I'm real big on the, the stretching rope. It's like you lay on your back, you can really flex your, stretch your hamstrings, throw over your leg over your body and really stretch your glutes and stuff. But yeah, so I have about a, uh, an hour routine that about 30 minutes of it is strength work with only bands and um, ankle weights, man. That's all I use. I don't use any heavy weights. And we you're talking about your question yeah. to this is, um, are you, are you like working full time? No, part-time? I am. Uh, how are you pulling no. on? I'm just starting to add up these hours. I'm like, man, like how, so would, I, how would the every man do this? They don't. Um, so I became a stay at home okay. dad two years ago. Um, oh, excellent. And now I'm stay at home. So you te- spouse, so you are working full time. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be accurate during the summer? Yeah. During the summer, so, okay, in 22 days, both kids go to school for the first time ever. We have no kids during the day. Um, so for the first time in two-something years, I'm really going to be free from Same. bus stop to bus stop, dude. Oh. And I told my wife, I was like, you think I'm fit now? You think I'm crazy now? You just wait. <laughs> Between those school hours, I'm going to be running to North Carolina and back. Like, it's going to get crazy. Um so, no, I, I, uh, I'm a full-time college student under the GI Bill, so that affords me the opportunity to not have to work, per se. They pay you a housing allowance. Um, that'll be up in about a year and a half, and then we'll need to start supplementing that income. But I, um, I'm part-time coaching now. I got nine athletes, um, ultramarathon athletes, and um, I am about three-quarters of the way through my master's degree in sports and health science. And my, my goal is to be to make a living off of coaching and, and mountain racing um, and some facet. I would rather one day be like, hey, athletes, I'm sorry, guys, but 
running needs all my attention now. Uh, but yeah. I, I don't think that'll ever happen. Uh, it's going to be like a multiple revenue type thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's how is. we're making it happen right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we make it happen, isn't it, Bracken? One year, maybe two. I got buy on race winnings and sponsor money. Mm. And then it was right back to multiple <laughs> streams again. It just, shelf life is short of being able to do it. But it didn't Extreme change entrepreneurs. the goal. Yeah. Mm. What, if you were back to the speed question asking you about your 5K mile and all of that, do you think, like out of 100 races, let's say 100 ultras at, a hundred miles or more, at least a hundred K or more. Does the fastest five K ever win that race ever? Or oh, is yeah. it somebody without creden- credentials, so to speak? So it's almost always the fastest five K. Um, oh, it is. So it translates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So, they said, they said this, they, the, the top guys in the sport put out a study. Okay. So they put out two studies and uh Hunter McIntyre would really like one of them because it was, the size of your biceps as it relates to your ultra marathon success. And it was scientifically the bigger your biceps, the least well you were going to do an ultra marathon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, Hunter biceps do not win races. <laughs> All of them anyways. Uh, so, but so another study that they talked about, they said they were looking at all the people who won Western States or finished top 10, which Western States is like the super bowl of ultra running mm-hmm. 100 milers. And they broke it down. They're like, okay, unless you were a collegiate level 15, what did they say? It was running. It was running a five K at like a five minute pace. Some crazy to me, that's insanity. Um, no, I'm still here. Um, but they were like, unless you were a collegiate level athlete, and able to sustain this level of fitness this long ago or at that period in your lifetime you will never finish top 10 or win western states and that's what initially got me i was like oh you mother okay and i was really naive and i i tried i legit was like i'm gonna beat jim wamsley at western states and i ran on a treadmill I did a 50K at an eight-and-a-half-minute pace. That's why I came up with that seven-minute pace for a marathon. I did a 50K at eight-and-a-half-minute pace, and I was like, all right, I got a 70 more miles. Jim Wamsley's going down. And we talked about this last time. That Obviously, I found out you know, science and biology and nature happens, uh, <laughs> and the world put me into backyard races. Um, so why yeah, do you win? Fa- if you're not the – if there's faster guys on the start line, you're not running five minute pace for a 5K. Why? Are, why do you win? With the backyard ones, it's simply because the speed doesn't matter. It's speed does not matter. They think because they get in quicker that they have a bigger break. Um, they it it generally never works for them in the backyard races. They're the fastest 5K guys. They need to go out where there's, you know, cutoffs you know, it's a hundred miler and you got cut off at mile 25, 50, and you got to make certain time slots. That's how they're dropping all the rest of the field. They're just outrunning them. You can't outrun anyone at a old, I mean, we're all going to be starting again at the same exact time. You beat me back, but how's your gut? How's your heart rate? Are you digesting the food you're eating? Cause you're, you know, you're breathing really heavy. Um, so where, so the, where's the tipping point? 
Is there a race distance where you can confidently look at it and say your 5K or your marathon time no longer matters? Or is it a race type? I'd say more type. It'd be terrain, weather. Um, where for me, if I'm not going into a backyard race and I have any hopes of doing good, I'm going to look for something that is going to annihilate the field outside of endurance. So mm-hmm. heat, bad water, 135. I know I would never win that race, but I could, pro- I could finish uh, in the front to at least be like, Hey, he was, I feel like I could train and go run bad water, 135 and finish within the top five to 10 males. If that's what I train for, I'm not fast, but it's really freaking hot there <laughs> and I can move through the heat and I'm, I'm tough. I can push through that. Um, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying I would ever win bad water. Uh, <laughs> so you're saying that external factors are where it tips. Yeah. So like, let's say I, the three of us had to put on a race and you got to race direct it and you didn't get to make it a backyard format and your life depended on beating us. Like what, what would you do? What, what, what was the first thing you would do to say, I'm going to take you to a place that I know your speed or whatever you've done. You said college runner. We both ran in college. What, what can I do right off the bat to negate that? For people like yourself, how do they start picking out these races? Of where do I want to maximize my, my God-given skills? Yeah, so with me, so then if I would take you all to somewhere with a lot of elevation gain and loss. Somewhere that I would just assume, I don't know what y'all do every day, but I would assume that what y'all do doesn't complement your knees as much as what I do. So I would be like, I need to lose them on the downhills. Um, y'all would probably beat me every hill, every climb, and then somewhere about halfway down these three-mile descents, you'd see me again. And you'd be like, there's no way he's going to keep that pace, and I'm not. Because you're going to pass me again on the climb, but then again, halfway down the other descent, there I'm going to be again. And I've ran every race like that, and everyone said, you know, you're going to not be able to do it by the end, and then... I just was just because I paid, I was hyper-focused in the training um, on the mobility and the, the strengthening of the downhills. But to, yeah, I mean, I don't know, man, to beat you guys would be, or for to answer your question about where's the tipping point for me, I know that I am more tough than I am fast. So I just have to find a race that's really tough to do outside of the numbers, whether that be the terrain and the climate, um, so Georgia death race, that's going to be the fastest race that I ever try to run. Um, I'm going to try to win that race. And I, I probably won't, <laughs> uh, the winner last year did like 14 and a half hours for 75 miles with 15 K in game. Um, I could probably, I'm thinking 16. <laughs> so unless everyone else has a real bad day, I'm not going to win, but I'm going to damn sure try. So that is the fastest race that I would ever try. But why do I think I have a shot? Because you can't use poles. You're not allowed to use poles. Mm. And I know by a certain amount of time that those lead guys are going to start feeling some pain in their knees that hopefully I don't feel. And then I might maybe not beat them, but I'll catch up to them and podium um, or something. But, yeah, the, the race director hit me up and was like, hey, I want you to run this race and you better try to win it. So I'm like, well – that is outside of i don't run that fast that's short for me and mm-hmm. but it's got a lot of gain and you can't use poles so that's my, my my saving grace my hope that that's 
that's what I look for in races for me, man, is, is something that makes it tough outside of the running itself. Kirk, you asked for five foods he gets to have people take out. I want to know what five things do people need to do to get your knees for races? Because Ooh. we've we've all talked about it's not how you descend the first one. It's how you descend the last descent and how yeah. you climb after descending. And it seems like we, we joke about mod. <laughs> your, what's your mod score? Well, there is a there is a mountain version of that. Like, what do you have accessible under duress? And you seem like you have maximized your mountain mod. Like, no matter what yeah. happens, you can always descend and you can always climb at your climbing rate. So what yeah. are what are your what's your checklist? Five things everyone has to do to maximize your mountain mod. I'm going to interject real, real quick here. I'm looking at the clock and I'm on a tight wire. Um, Yeah, we're overdue for me. So do you want me to leave this running and you continue with your questions or do you think we can wrap it up in at most five minutes? Those are the I can get it out in five minutes. I'm not more awesome. Bracken really wanted to touch on a few things. I don't know if we got to it all yet. So let's just, let's call this and then we can always do a third one with Justin. (laughs) He's our, I feel like people need it. Sorry, I don't mean to be a pain, but you know I gotta you know work. Okay. Oh, dude, I'm sweating. You see, sweat. I'm ready I, to go. I gotta change my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, sorry, sorry to ruin the flow. Continue. G- hey, give me your. Are you want me to go on those five? Yeah, let's let's hear those five. Okay, so those five. All right. Um, the main thing I'm thinking about right now is core. Um, a lot of people neglect core. They don't tighten their core while they're running downhill. Um, they don't think about their core. They start, I'm, when I say they, I'm going to say me. In the beginning, I would not breathe on the downhills. I'd find myself going my shallow breaths. So keeping a tight core. Well, so first off, go get a tight core in training. Whatever that, I mean your front and your back, your, your abs, your lumbar, your glutes, tighten up those areas. And you need to go talk to your coaches and figure out what tightens those up. Do that. But then on race day or whatever it is, when you're descending, think about that core. You're keeping it tight. You're breathing full breaths into your nose and out your mouth, but your core's tight. Your core is really taking a lot of that load. It's like a spring. Um, and you'll, you'll once you get to where you're do, go with your core, you'll notice. You'll start thinking off, and you won't be tight, and you'll, oh, your back will start hurting or something. Tighten up. Tight core on the downhills and in training. Two is, yeah, you got to train the descent. For it, for whatever you run up, you got to run down, in my opinion, for ultra runners. I know y'all Spartan guys, y'all do a lot of crazy uphill stuff. But pretty much in any ultra, you're going to be running back down anything you run up. We have to finish everything down, too. Mm. Okay, so yeah, you're running. So anything you run up, you need to be thinking about next week what you're going to run down, what your run down workout's going to be. And if you can't get there, guess what? Throw some center blocks under the back of your treadmill, and now you got a 16% grade downhill. Uh, it's possible. You can do it. Um, so so training the descent just as deliberately uh, as you do the climbing and everything else. Um, outside of that would be, I think, about the front of my legs, um, the tibia, uh, the, the muscle right there. No one really works that bad boy. That connects straight to your patella and then up to your quad. So I really just think about all the muscles that are engaged when I'm decelerating and my legs acting as a break or a spring, and I strengthen those muscles and I stress them in the ramwad. In those long poses, I hold what's called uh, the low dragon, and that's me with my knee over my toe as freaking far as I can get it and holding for two minutes. 
So strengthening and then stressing them and um, thinking about that foot hitting the ground. You, everything starts and ends with the foot. I remember I started initially, I got good at all this because I got patella pain and I needed to get recovered. And then I just turned it into rehab and to prehab. And yeah, man, so the, I, I would, so I was going with that, the foot plant, how your foot's hitting the ground. Think about, imagine your metacarpals literally spreading as they hit, going up into your Achilles, into your calf, and just envision everything like like bodybuilders do when they're working out. They want to get their traps big. They're envisioning every muscle fiber in their trap. You know what I mean? And that's, I've literally kind of just brought that into my training. And I, I'm, I do a lot of strength um, and resistance, or did. And then now I just do a lot of up and down. Everything I run up, I run down. I like yeah. it. It's nothing yeah. everyone else can't do. I have more follow-up yeah, questions to that, but now I can't ask them. So, All right, next time. <laughs> Write them down. <laughs> I'll have to. Well, it was great, dudes. I would have loved it, man. How can people find you, support you, all that? I have two Instagram pages, uh, one for my coaching that I'll say first, which is Vertex Ultra Coaching, um, and then uh, Ultra underscore Dad. I'm Ultra Dad on um, Instagram because I'm a dad stay-at-home dad and running ultras man and trying to dream big with it so here we are <laughs> so if people want to reach out those would be the best two places yep vertex ultra coaching and if uh yeah uh, specifically that one because then I, I check that one a lot and um if and then you can click on my link tree and you can email me from there and everything so yeah those instagram ultra dad and instagram vertex ultra coaching yeah, it was a pleasure as always having you on here. Yeah, bro. Good luck at Littles. Yeah, man. Good luck to your buddies, uh, Kurt, and uh, or your athletes. And uh, yeah. yeah, man, just tell them, stay tough, man. Stay tough. I'm don't not going to the tell chair. them. You're going to tell them. They're going to listen. Yeah. This, so. Tell them, listen to this. Yeah. Don't quit in the chair and stay tough. Go out there and, and die in the woods. <laughs> Let's cut it. Thank you, Justin. All right. Yeah, man. <laughs>